Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the Motor City. That's right. For those of you just tuning in, this is the Stampede fourth celebration of the all-new seventh-generation Ford Mustang. On this edition of Inside Motorsport, well, it's not really motorsport, but perhaps it could be. The Ford Mustang 2024 launch over in Detroit, Michigan happened a few hours ago now, and I'm joined on the line by two avid Australian Mustang owners, Ray Berghouse, formerly the editor-in-chief of Chevron Publishing and a publisher-at-large at Next Media, is it? Yeah, it's something. I, I'm now I am now a contributor or consultant to the companies that I used to own. So that that makes me I'm not sure what. <laughs> well, it's uh, making you an avid Ford Mustang owner that has a rightful place here with our good friend Peter Norton, inside motorsport contributor, inside supercars contributor, and of course photographer to the stars. And Peter, you also have enjoyed the. Uh, joys of a Mustang since 2016 here in Australia. Oh, yes, and uh, I still love it every day. Uh, when the garage door goes up and the, and the, the daylight strikes, the, the different shapes, you go, oh, cool. Uh, you never get old. The interesting thing, Bergie, is that no expense was spared, it seemed, from Ford for this launch. They had brought people fans, workers from all over the country to be part of the, the glitz and glam. What did you think of the video presentation that we all saw? Well, it's a little bit difficult to say, as you mentioned uh, in our pre-recordings uh, uh, conversation, it's a little hard to know what to say without getting sued. Um, it was very Hollywood, wasn't it? I mean, it was very much like, a, like the halftime show at a football match. Uh, in America, um, razzle dazzle, all sorts of people coming on and off stage, basically all saying similar things. Um, you know, it, it was you know one of those shows for everybody and anybody, uh, and sometimes for nobody. Um, I think that they did it extremely well. If you are of the type of you are the type of person who is influenced by that sort of um, Hollywood approach, I guess. Well. Peter Norton, surely you love the glitz and glam of uh, a Ford launch. Oh, I, I did appreciate the uh, very high production values and the effort that they went into. Uh, it definitely was the the converted preaching to the converted. Many of the people that uh, appeared on stage and were interviewed were people that uh, have worked at Ford for a long time and were hands-on as part of the design and engineering of the of various versions of the Mustang over the years and they were very, very proud of the, their new products that they launched. In fact, it had a touch of Australia in it. Here's Anton Di Pasquale's contribution to the opening role of the new Mustang and being a Mustang enthusiast. Sounds cool, looks cool, turns a few heads in the street. You don't have to change it much, there, and they're such a good car as they are. Peter, it was good to see Australians getting there because they, they definitely were hitting the Japanese market. They were hitting the German, French and, and UK market. They, uh, you know, had those couple of token grabs from Anton Di Pasquale all donning his Shell V-Power attire. Uh, it, it's always nice to uh, have Australia mentioned, uh, it particularly fondly. Uh, there are a couple of references to the Australian supercars uh, and the 
and the version of the new Mustang that will be racing in Generation 3. Uh, it was also cool when they were mentioning the great racetracks of the world that the Mustang will be racing at. And, of course, they mentioned Bathurst. And it actually meant a little bit more because when the Ford executive who said that, we've seen him at Bathurst. Uh, he is actually, uh, again, uh, a convert to uh, supercars and Bathurst. He actually understood what it means to us. It is, for our brand, for Ford Motor Company, Mustang is the most raced, the most successful nameplate we have ever had on the racetrack. Yep. It has raced from the top-level professional series down through grassroots and customer racing. That's where it belongs. On tracks around the world, legendary tracks like Daytona, Pomona, Indianapolis, Bathurst, we race everywhere. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to put two cents worth in there. I mean, in the context that if they're going, to, if they're going to be hitting the European market, for instance, and the and the English market, one of the things you've got to keep in mind is the is the the price of petrol in those markets at the moment. I mean, the price of petrol here is horrendous, but it's absolutely, you know, it's absolutely off the clock in Europe and in England, and you know, I mean, it costs us what somewhere between eighty and a hundred dollars to fill the tank here in Sydney or in Melbourne. What would it cost to fill the tank in London? I, I, I ask you. It'd probably double or triple that. I wouldn't like to venture a uh, a guess <laughs> because uh, when they're having breakfast TV shows raffling the prize of we'll pay your utility expenses, you know that everything is getting more expensive uh, in the home country, as they used to say. It's an interesting exercise for them because um, the price of petrol in America, as we all know, has always been significantly lower than it has been in Australia or in Europe. Um, but, uh, I mean, the car is absolutely fantastic. The, the, the generation car that I've got, I'm really very happy with and always have been. Um, it's one of those things where as you gain maturity, I don't talk about getting older, uh, but as you gain maturity, you think back to when they launched the Mustang in 64. And, you know, I was a young bloke in 64 and looked at the Mustang and thought, I'd love one of those. And uh, I'll tell you the story later, but uh, I did actually own a, a 65 Mustang briefly uh, in 66. So, I mean, there is uh, there's a long and happy history of that car in Australia, um, both as a road car and a race car. I think uh, Ray uh, raises some very interesting points there about uh, who really is the market for the Mustang. And I think in the, the, the previous uh, recent generations, it was about uh, heritage, had a performance ability, but it really was pitched as a, a mass market car, particularly in the US where you had uh, a whole spectrum of different price points where you could drive uh, the, such a classic car. Uh, what I noticed in the launch today was uh, repeated references to uh, the, the tools and the, like, the gimmicks about taking it to a track. And I think that they're going to picture this uh, at a narrower market where it is about taking it to track days and those sorts of things. And for those people, um, this is a bit of a luxury toy uh, and the price of fuel is less of a consideration. I don't think this will be a, a daily driver uh, around the, the, the streets of Birmingham or any, anywhere in Europe, um, but it will be appearing on the, the racetracks around the world as people take their toys to a track day. Bergie, one thing that interests me is the Elon Musk effect on car design now. And the one thing that shook me a bit was those iPad, the iPad dashes, 
which were uh, very front and centre and probably the first thing I noticed when they went inside the car. Yes, uh, I mean, they are very much the, the, the modern thing and, you know, coming from the what I re- laughingly refer to as the analogue era, uh, where the, the actual um, the dials were attached to something not electronic. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. Uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm not in favour of those things simply because they're a little harder to understand for a person of my uh, my vintage. But uh, one of the things that I I don't know whether you guys noticed it or not, but there was one thing that struck me in the whole presentation: the choice of colours of the cars that they had on display. Now, they talked uh, not terribly long about the range of colours that were going to become available. But if you go back to when the car first came into Australia a few years back, if you actually, I know I did this, if you went onto the Ford website in Australia to, if you would, spec up a car that you might like to order, there were a whole range of colours and options. There was, I think, something in the region of 12 to 15 different wheel designs that were available. Uh, There were all sorts of colours. There were different colour combinations of interiors. And I looked at all of that and thought, this is fantastic. I happened to go back onto the website about a week later. And by by the end of that week, all of the options had disappeared. There was one wheel available in either black or silver. There was black interior on virtually everything. And all of the other options just weren't there anymore. Now, it was a bit of a shame then, and I hope it doesn't happen this time around. Peter, you you got in. You were waiting almost two years from when you put your order in to when you received your car. Uh, my story got a little bit complicated, but uh, when they announced that it was coming to Australia, uh, I got excited and I put my name down. Uh, but then they announced that they were pulling out of supercar racing, and I phoned the dealer and said, that strike me off the list. Um, then they announced their pricing uh, about 12 months later, uh, and it came in below the luxury car threshold, because I do watch those taxation things pretty closely, and I thought, oh, crap, I- I've got to have one, and I rejoined the, the waiting list. Uh, so, so my journey was a little bit longer than it should have been. Um, after placing my order for that second time, it was around a 12-month wait. Um, I do recall when I was uh, selecting colours and options, uh, it was very early in their actual release cycle. Uh, I had a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of the option list. It wasn't on a website and it wasn't in a glossy brochure, uh, but it was very similar to what Ray experienced where uh, there was only uh, the same wheel but two different colours and a a very short list of uh, paint colours that you could choose from. Uh, It's quite clear that for the Australian market, they narrowed down the choices just to make it more economical for, for the whole program. The fascinating thing for me, Ray, is how many there were and... We'll just start with the first three cars they brought out. And and for people who know the Mustang or or uh, are familiar, they would remember the fact that you didn't always get a V8 with your Mustang. You could get a four-cylinder Mustang, a six-cylinder Mustang and a V8 Mustang right back, certainly in the 70s. I'm, I'm assuming that there was probably fairly similar before that. Yeah, that's true. But again, um, given the fact that the car was only ever 
a private import in Australia. Um, it was very difficult to get them through, through any kind of dealership back in those days. Um, yeah, the, the, the list of options was very narrow. Um, and uh, in the time you know, we're talking about, in, you know, in the, in the 2000s, um, when the car came back to Australia, uh, I think you're absolutely right. I think that the, the, the options list um, was scrapped simply in order to make it easier to sell a car that basically they just delivered cars and the dealer said, I've got a car here today, do you want it? It's blue. And that was your option kind of thing, you know. Um, now, I may be wrong in saying that. I, I, you know, I have been wrong in the past. But um, I think that this new version, and as I said, when you think back to the watching the, the video of the release of this new car, there wasn't a yellow car on on show. There wasn't a red one. There wasn't a silver one. There wasn't a white one. They chose very dark coloured cars to show the public, which make them much harder to to actually recognise against the dark background that the whole show was played against. And I wonder why that was. Because, I mean, let's face it, the you know the the boy's dream of a Mustang is a red one, isn't it? Well, neither of you have red ones, do you, Peter? <laughs> uh, that, that's right. I've got the, the metallic, the sort of gunmetal grey, uh, and raised the proud owner of a, a bright yellow one, I think that, if I recall correctly. Uh, that's, that's but you're right, the, the red ones go faster. Yes. I mean, I, I might add that the uh, the yellow Mustang sits next to the uh, the yellow Monaro in my garage, so, you know, I'm, I've got it one foot on each side of the barbed wire fence. <laughs> now, <laughs> the, other, the other piece that I particularly liked through the uh, presentation was this one where they had a gentle barb at their competition. Let's talk performance series. We got a history, Shelby, Mach 1, Boss, Bullet. It's integral to the Mustang story. Each has a deep meaning to our customers and to our team, as you saw in the video. Others may be bringing down the curtain. We say it's time to raise the curtain on a new performance pony. And Ray, that's where it was also very interesting. They were launching Gen 7, and it was like Gen 7 is, you know, the start of a, a brand new era in the Mustang. And some of the things that they moved on to talk about certainly indicated that, whereas other manufacturers are saying, no, no, these these dinosaurs, we've got to get out of that line of car. Yeah, well, that's pretty much what every... It's the old gag about preaching to the converter, isn't it? You know, I mean, everybody's switching to electric or hybrid or some combination of both. Um, and I think that their tenacity to stay with a, a petrol-driven motor car, I think it makes a lot of sense for the next 10 years because it's going to be a long, long, long time before a, a, a petrol-driven motor car will be uneconomic. Uh, simply because there's just so many of them. And when you look at the uptake of electric cars in virtually every country, they're, 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 they're saying it's fantastic, but in real terms, it's a fraction of the market. It's a tiny fraction of the market. And apart from if, if you want to buy an, a, a sports-type motor car it, with electric or, or uh, hybrid, you're going to pay three or four times the price that you are for a Mustang at least that much, as far as I can remember. Peter, the interesting thing is the positioning and 
in America, they're positioning themselves to be the car for all season, the car for all tastes, the car for multiple price ranges. You're spot on. Uh, there's multiple price points. Uh, one of the things I found interesting is that the uh, EcoBeast 4, um, uh, for the first time ever, it's got a different grill. Right. So for the front end of the 7th Gen, we wanted to give it an aggressive look. So it's kind of got that long horizontal brow. So you're going to see that thing coming down the road behind you. It's mean. Right. The um, upper grill shape. It's kind of a nod to the 60s design. It's a kind of that U shape, but you're gonna notice the EcoBoost and the GT completely distinct. Two distinct front ends, first time. You'll actually be able to recognize it as the, uh, the, the, the poorer cousins, uh, perhaps uh, right from the front. Uh, with the current versions, you have to look at the badge on the side or the back to actually pick uh, that uh, four-cylinder. Um, and. Uh, yeah, of the three that you mentioned, we've got the four-cylinder, uh, the, the GT with the V8, uh, and also the, the convertible. Um, and then, as you mentioned before, then they uh, sort of trotted out a few more of the more specialised performance versions. Uh, I, I think Ray is, is onto something there about uh, a 10-year time frame uh, before we really, really go for electric. Um, in the ACT, they've announced that 2035 is the magic date where the, they won't allow uh, the registration in the ACT of any new uh, uh, internal combustion engine vehicles. So uh, I think it is smart that some of the manufacturers are doing their, uh, their, their new releases with that 10-year time frame in mind. Um, if you cast your mind back to 2014, where uh, the, the, the current generation was such a, a big step forward, um, it was a completely new platform. Uh, it was redesigned from a, a, a really a, a clean sheet of paper, uh, and one of the big step forwards was the uh, independent rear suspension, whereas the, the previous Mustang's handling was always limited by the by the old-fashioned uh, 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 diff and uh, the traditional uh, uh, suspension. Um, we didn't really see that in this release. Uh, under the skin, it is the, the same platform. Um, they've uh, Yes, improved the engines, uh, done a few styling differences, it's a little bit wider at the back, but ultimately it really is still a very similar Mustang. Uh, if you look at the, the seats and a lot of the interior, um, the colours and trim are changing a bit, but it, it's fundamentally the same until you get to the dashboard. Uh, and the dash, dashboard, I think, is perhaps one of the easiest things for them to do, the, the sleight of hand. Um, it's full of technology. It really hits you in the face in terms of, wow, it's changed. But I think this is actually a very economical update to get them through to this next 10 years. Uh, they're, they're, they're visibly new tech, but they're not really. Uh, I, I think it's a very clever release. And I think that bridges the gap between the other manufacturers who are not investing in releasing new performance cars. Uh, they're playing the electric card instead. Now... Ray, the interior has always been an interesting one in Australia, particularly if you like a large coffee from McDonald's, which cannot go in the centre cup holder if you still want to change gears. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it brings you to the question of the interior of the motor car. And, I mean, uh, as I said earlier, uh, owning both a Mustang and a Monaro, I can tell you that you can fit four full-sized adults into a Monaro. 
for any distance you wish to drive. But try doing that in a Mustang. I mean, we all know that the back seats in a Mustang are for legless midgets or children. And, uh, you know, that's just, when you, when Peter, when you said earlier, it's, a, you know, it's the car for all people on all occasions. That's as long as there's only two of you. <laughs> Yes, a very good point. I'd like to speak to both of you now about the body changes because you both are well-credentialed photographers of supercars. I never had a problem with the supercar body, but a lot of people did have a problem with the supercar body compared to the road car. What did you think of what you saw of this new Mustang and then extrapolating that to what it could be on the racetrack? I quite liked it. The, the the refresh that they did to the Mustang just a couple of years ago changed the shape of the bonnet. Uh, and, and that came out at a similar time to the, the supercar that, that people really didn't like the deformed shape of it all. Uh, in particular, uh, the, the shape of the bonnet on the supercar looked a little odd. But in actual fact, it was actually quite similar to that model refresh of the road-going version. Um, that, that strange shape and a bit of a bulge near the front uh, appears to be gone. I do like the, the lines of this new release. Uh, it is a little bit better. Um, I, I do keep catching my eye on the, if you look at this new release uh, from a sort of front but on an angle, the, uh, the short, wide uh, headlights uh, and the stronger lines of the, that leading edge of the bonnet, at that first tenth of a second glance, I see the Camaro. I, I, it really does seem to have a little bit of that, that styling uh, clue to it. Um, but then when you see the fullness of the grille, it's definitely the Mustang again. Yeah, it is interesting. I, I, I think that the, the problem with the supercar version of a Mustang was the fact that they'd dropped the nose significantly from the standard the road car. Um, they'd sort of literally shoveled the nose down for aerodynamic purposes and of course, the roof line was significantly higher and, and more more Monaro-like, actually, because it was more of a of a curved roof, significantly more curved than it is already. Um, but you know, you've got a curved roof, and, and elsewhere, it's pretty much a square motor car, the, the current one. And I don't think, as you said, I don't think they've changed that an awful lot. Uh, I think the new version is still quite a square car. And uh, it'll be a, it'll be interesting to see whether or not the race version in Australia uh, is it anything like the actual road version, or, or whether we get another slightly converted version to 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 actually race. I don't think it'll be the same. Now, as we're speaking here in just over twenty five hours, Ford Australia release the Mustang for the Australian market. So we are jumping ahead of the game and, and anticipating uh, some things. But, Bergie, what interests me was they sort of did to death their road car standard, you know, standard buffet, and then they launched something very different, the Dark Horse range. What did you think of that side of the equation? Well, again, hard to see what the car looked like, how, how much different the car was as a vehicle sitting on the ground because it was a black car 
on a very dark background. So they, they very cleverly camouflaged the look of the car to a great degree on the presentation. Um, so it's obviously lower. It's got wider wheels. It's got a different front. It's got different spoilers front and back, etc. So it's more of a race car. As they've said, that's what it is. It's more of a track day car than it is an everyday car. So in some ways, it kind of reminded me of the um, uh, the, the, the short run uh, Steve McQueen uh, bullet cars that came out a year or two ago. It was kind of like a it was a hot rod version, but that car was more a hot rod in appearance. What they're talking about now is several stages of track day cars, which are fast, faster, and faster still. And it's a matter of how much money you pour into it. As to what sort of uh, what package you get at the other at the uh, at the purchase end, but we will make a dark horse S, which is a dark horse turned into a dedicated track day car, so you can go for a full track day, completely enjoy it. We'll have a dark horse R, which is made for grassroots racing, SCCA, NASA, WRL, and a Mustang spec racing series. So you can buy this car dedicated for the track, take it and race it yourself. Now, Peter, this is the cue point for you to talk about right-hand drives and track days. Oh, uh, uh, we started off talking about how impressed we are with our Mustangs, how happy we are. Um, and I guess I have to preframe this by saying how happy I was that Ford honoured the warranty, even though it was out of warranty. Uh, my, my Mustang was one of the uh, uh, earlier batches, uh, and, and they became quite famous within Mustang circles for having a problem with the oil cooler. Uh, when they switched uh, from left-hand drive to right, they just had to switch a few things over to make all of the steering fit, and uh, I don't think that they really banked on the, uh, the different angle of the oil line putting some stress on, on one of the, the little uh, elbows. Uh, and many of those first uh, batch uh, ended up having uh, oil cooler failures. Uh, mine just happened to happen uh, where it failed within the, uh, the area of the radiator, so the oil uh, and water mixed, and uh, uh, long story made short, a, a, a brand new engine. Um, uh, they were very graceful uh, in honouring warranty, even though it was a couple of years out, but it did have low kilometres, so... Uh, and it was a known fault that, that's uh, created all of that. Um, I, I think that they've learnt their lesson from some of those things. They've done enough of them in right-hand drive all around the world now. Uh, I don't think they'll make that mistake again. And uh, is there any truth in the rumour that it was the oil cooler failure happened at the kink heading towards Term 1 at Wakefield Park? Uh, no, it was going up the hill. Uh, yes, uh, they, they went a little off in power. So I eased off and uh, ended up with a long trail of oil through the final corner and all down pit lane. It was really quite embarrassing. Uh, maybe that's why the Blakeville Park is now closed, that they, that, so no one can do that ever again. Uh, it's funny, uh, I didn't mention any of that at the dealership of where it happened, uh, just that it happened. Yeah, well, you know, the first thing that anyone does when they get their car to go drifting is put a hydraulic handbrake in it. So Ford has, you know, drifting is the you know, fastest growing motorsport in the world. It's so accessible. There's events in any state, just about any city yeah. uh, on, on any weekend. And so Ford has seen that. And now every single Mustang has a drift brake in it. It has a mode 
you pull the handbrake, it locks the rear tires. Uh, and I like to consider the handbrake as the now button. And it's just really, really incredible that Ford is, is seeing this and putting it on production vehicles, you know. Ray, times have changed and uh, interest in performance cars have changed. What did you think when you heard that they were putting on an adrenaline boost drift brake as a standard feature on all Mustangs? Well, I guess, you know, what it comes down to is what do you classify as a track day car? And what do you want that vehicle to perform? How do you want that vehicle to perform for you? Uh, things of that nature, that's, that kind of technology is, I suppose, it's required under certain circumstances on certain types of uh, sporting activities. Uh, I mean, for me, you know, it's not, it's not something that I would have... Uh, considered necessary but for somebody half my age probably so um so again it reminds me of the old adage about where we are in the car industry today people sometimes say why do they put all of this technology in these cars i don't use it well i think the reason is they can and it's as simple as that they they spend a lot this huge amounts of money in r d designing great technology that they then really have to uh, include in a car so that they can justify the cost of the R&D in the first place. I don't know whether or not I'm a, I'm a, a voice crying in the wilderness. What do you think, Peter? I, I do recall that when uh, my model uh, first came to Australia, a lot of those electronic tricks uh, that were part of the, the hype in the US actually got turned off for the Australian market, um, some of the, the line locking and that sort of stuff. So I think it remains to be seen whether the full uh, spectrum of features are actually available in Australia. Uh, I was always disappointed with the, our Mustangs that we had the very boring version of the, uh, the, the, the rear brake lights and indicator, whereas in the US, it, it was sort of an animated thing where it's, uh, uh, the, the lights had a sequence to them uh, and jiggled across the uh, left to right. Um, yeah, the Australian market, we just got plain old boring traditional brake lights. Uh, however, on many other, particularly European cars, all of that clever technology and uh, tricky lights have now become mainstream. So uh, hopefully Australia will get a lot more of those toys. But I do agree that they're a distraction. Uh, it's a very interesting talking point for the marketing, but most people won't use some of those uh, other things because most people can't afford the tyres. That is very true. I mean, uh, way back when the car was relatively new in the, on the Australian market, I, I went out to uh, to the dealership to pick up a road test car uh, to see, you know, just to drive it to see what it was like myself. And, uh, you know, being fortunate in, in, in being on the list of people who are allowed to do that. And as I was walking into the dealership, I happened to walk past the um, entrance to the garage facility. And... There were two uh, Mustangs up on up on hoists, and they were changing the wheels. And I said when I got inside, "What well, you know? What's uh, what's going on with those two outside?" And they, the, the guy from the dealership said, um, "Yes, well, pretty much we put a new set of tyres on the on the car every time it comes back from a road test." So, so I think the uh, the younger generation of motoring journalists were having a very, very good time at somebody else's expense. Let's talk about the Dark Horse 
and the track day idea and a car for almost a one-make series, uh, Peter, you said to me earlier today. And I found it fascinating that one of the selling points was you can get in your car with the helmet on. Story about the roof line, because you took into consideration all your races out there, because there's nobody that races out there, right? Uh, the roof line here, it accommodates big heads like mine, or better yet, for the racers. Well, for those racers out there, you don't have to take your helmet off to get in and out. <laughs> yes, I did emphasize that. Um, uh, I, I don't have any problems with the current one getting in and out with a helmet, but uh, they did hype it up. But I made the point earlier that uh, this is less of a mass market car, particularly with the ever-increasing cost of fuel. This is a toy for people who want to uh, have a performance uh, day out. Uh, so, yeah, they're, they're hitting all of those hot buttons about the, uh, uh, the track uh, software, uh, be able to wear your helmet uh, to get in and out. Um, the, the Dark Horse, I think it was version S, which is aimed at the, the sort of weekend racer that wants to do track days. But if you want to go racing properly, you go for the R version. Uh, and I was fascinated about what they said uh, about plans for having a one-make series. Uh, I'm looking forward to that uh, announcement from Ford Australia uh, to see what versions we get here. Uh, and in particular, will it catch on? Are there plans to have a one-make series in Australia? Of course, we have the Toyota 86 series, which is fabulous. It's been very successful. Uh, but, um, yeah, if you had the 86 series or the Mustang series, where do you think people would put their money to go and have a, go have a play? Um, where do you think the spectators would, uh, would enjoy? Uh, sometimes the 86s sound like a swarm of bees, whereas I think uh, uh, you know, 20 to 30 Mustangs uh, in the hands of up-and-comers and amateurs uh, that's going to be quite a size. Yeah, I'd agree with that, Peter. Um, I mean, obviously, you you know, you've, you've also got the four series. It will come. It, it'll depend entirely, in my opinion, on the price point. How much are these cars going to be rolling out of the dealership? You know, I'm guessing a hundred to a hundred and fifty, uh, with all the bells and whistles, because it's the standard car is probably going to be around eighty. I guess. Uh, so a, a, a racetrack version has got to be, you know, at least 50% more expensive, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I, I think your judgment there is pretty close to the mark. Uh, they're, they're sort of prices that I would expect. Now, I, I, I do love how... You know, you've got to grab your little... You've got to grab your little differences to really sell it. And... When people start talking to me about a flat bottom steering wheel, I'm going, we're scraping <laughs> towards the bottle of the barrel of what changes we've made. <laughs> yes, well, one thing that they didn't mention that they haven't put a little stripe of uh, of um, uh, tape on the centre of the top of the steering wheel so that you know where top their centre is. Are you excited about the fact that they said this is their racing platform and we'll hear the quotes now as you've heard time and time tonight you know mustang really is ford's icon on the streets and on the track mustang has raced at all the great tracks around the world but there's no race or no track that means more to our history than le mans it's where we took on ferrari and won in the 1960s and it's where we return 50 years later 
and shock the world again. And tonight I'm announcing that we're going to go back to Le Mans again with this Mustang. And once again, Their racing platform, NASCAR was mentioned, the United States Series, the GT3. But I think that little kicker at the end, we're going back to Le Mans. Has, has someone watched Ford versus Ferrari once too often in the, uh, in the Ford executive offices? Very proud heritage there of what, the, what they achieved. I'm pretty excited by, the, by this. Uh, I, I do find it a little puzzling, and I think the, a very casual spectator may get confused because you'll have the Mustang in GT3, which is a, a Mustang uh, shape, but under the skin, it's uh, almost a free-for-all. Uh, but uh, that'll be racing uh, alongside, or perhaps well in front of, uh, the Mustang in GT4, which is more of a traditional uh, uh, construction and configuration of the Mustang. Uh, and uh, yeah, who knows? Maybe the one-make series would be on the support program as well. Uh, that may get confusing, but... Uh, I think by the prominence of that announcement, uh, Ford fans are, are looking forward to Le Mans next year, not for out, outright uh, honours, but uh, GT3 is a very competitive class uh, and that could be an absolute cracker. Would you sort of think of the fact that when the change of rules uh, for Le Mans and Le Mans, the Le Mans series uh, to a much more road car oriented uh, platform, other you know, not not the same as the hypercars of recent years, with the Audis and and uh, the Porsches and now the Toyotas. Uh, these are you know these are hypercars. They don't really represent a lot in terms of you know road going motor cars. If the if the plan that I understand it to be comes to fruition, and an awful lot of European and some uh, Asian car makers of sports cars uh, pick up the idea of uh, competing at, uh, at Le Mans, then this will just be another one of those cars having a whack at uh, the 24-hour race and the others. I think it's a great idea. I think it makes a lot of sense for, for Ford to do that. Um, but, of course, we don't really know what the other manufacturers are going to bring to the table uh, in 2023 uh, when they all turn up for the, uh, the first practice day. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting question as to where we go from here. Now, Peter, you've had uh, the top Mustang aftermarket modification companies tinkering with yours. Bergie, I don't know. Is yours still straight from the showroom floor? Oh, straight-ish. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. Uh, not quite. Nowhere near as modified as as you can produce them, uh, but I, I mean, the, having done a lot of modifications to the Monaro over the years, uh, you have to sort of accept the fact that if you're going to um, lower it and stiffen it and this and that and you put all the bits and pieces on it, it becomes a fantastic motor car for four or five days a year, and if you're driving it every day, uh, it can be a little bit um, testing. Peter, where do you think the aftermarket, and particularly in Australia, will be if the Ford Motor Company do commit to bringing in so many versions of the car or even just offering all of those mod packages which were heavily geared towards the performance end? I kind of like where the, the Mustang range sits 
in terms of the, the wide spectrum of uh, enthusiastic owners. You can choose to customize it uh, as much as you want or as little as you like. Uh, I've uh, through the various Mustang clubs and things and different days where we get together, there's uh, the, the people who uh, buy a complete package uh, where it's all done for them. But then there's other people who get great enjoyment about building it up themselves over time. Uh, that can be simply a choice of a spoiler and a couple of stripes, or uh, you start to get it under the bonnet and, and do different things of, well, uh, uh, lowering it, different air intake, uh, uh, different tunes, uh, the people who then jump the, into the next level with superchargers and all of that kind of stuff. And, and what I like is that, well, there's plenty of different suppliers that can do it, but I, I also like how you can shop from the Ford Performance Catalog. Uh, if you want the uh, uh, you know, certain parts that are they're on the, uh, say, that the, the uh, Dark Horse R, then you can go, well, yes, I, I want that bit and that bit. I can't afford the whole package, but I want to get those two bits. And then you can build up your own one over time uh, and you, you get to pick and choose. The advantage of uh, shopping from that single catalogue is that all these things have been engineered and designed to work with each other. You don't end up with a Frankenstein. Uh, uh, it's, uh, yeah, you get to build your own adventure, but they're all compatible. Ray, it is going to be fascinating to see how Ford Australia approach it. And as we've already mentioned, it's uh, just over 24 hours, um, sorry, just over 12 hours until we find that out. But for a racing fan, this launch is very heavily geared towards the future of the Gen 3 and very much the future of the series of supercars in Australasia. Yeah, I think they have to go down that path because uh, they're the only manufacturer. I mean, we know that uh, the General Motors uh, exercise has, has gone towards Camaro um, and we don't really know for absolutely certain how long Camaro will be built for, but we do know that Camaro on the Australian market is a tiny, tiny fraction of what they're, in, what they're selling Um because they're not yet building uh, any kind of quantity of right-hand drive cars, but you know what is what is the price of a of a of a Mustang today versus a Camaro today? My guess is the Camaro is about forty k dearer than the Mustang. Would that be right? If you can get one, uh, I'm not sure that they're doing the brand new ones anymore. It might just be in the second-hand market. Look, I think you're right. You know, and so you know we're you know the supercar exercise. It's unfortunate that they basically they've pinned their hopes to a car which in a very short space of time won't exist in terms of a new car. Or could be an e-car. That's the that's the gossip I'm hearing, is that the Camaro is going to become the electric sports car of General Motors. So where does that fit in with supercars? How could they possibly go for the front-engine Mustang and the mid-engine Stingray? Well, they can't. It's impossible. You know, I mean, the, the, the Ford, Ford people would have a connection. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I found the, the investment into the GT3 program quite fascinating because at Le Mans, uh, the Mustang GT3 will be racing against Ferraris, Porsche, and the, uh, the Corvette. But then in supercars, the Mustang will be racing against the Camaro. Uh, so it, it's it's in multiple places and it may get a little bit confusing. I, I think that, I think you're being generous by saying a little bit confusing. 
you know, I mean, at, at the end of the at the end of the day, the Mustang is going to be a car in motorsport worldwide, whereas General Motors have the Sting, or you know, the the Corvette, which has a very very limited uh, exposure, except in America uh, and at Le Mans in in that series. So, I mean, I I don't see the the uh, Corvette coming to Australia as a as a motorsport entry. I really can't see how that could possibly happen. Which, of course, makes the whole, these cars are going to be more dealer relevant, an even bigger mockery in the fact that the car that you're racing, one of the cars you're racing can't even be bought there. That's pretty much what I was saying earlier, isn't it? You know, I mean, you know, we've, we've got we've, we've got a situation where it's it's actually gone backwards, not forwards. But I don't think that there was any other way for them to go because if they didn't take on the Camaro uh, as a body shape, they would have had to stay with the Holden, the, the Commodore, as a body shape. And that, you know, that would generate the same set of problems. Mm. And there's no dodge market in the country to be able to uh, try to get the Challenger up and running. And how long will the Challenger be going for? Mm. Question mark. Yep, exactly right. Peter Norton and Ray Berghouse, it has been a pleasure to sit down and talk to you about the new Mustang and, well, all the implications and half the answers will give, be given to us in less than half a day, but it's always nice to have a chat with you both. Well, thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate the chance. It's, uh, it's, always, it's always fun to talk about things that you only think you can afford. Mm. And in my case, I only <laughs> think you know about. <laughs> yeah, well, that goes for all of us, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, thanks, fellows, and and uh, I'm thankful that Ford are still believers in uh, having a hero car that's based on performance. Uh, everyone else is going uh, technology and electric. Uh, as a race fan, it's great to see that someone's keeping the the, the dreams and the, the the adrenaline alive. Indeed, I'd have to agree with that. You know, it goes a long way to uh, to keeping uh, the the memories of the '60s alive. We will do our job to equip those who want a pony muscle car with the best damn car they've ever seen. That's what we do at Ford. With that point, we'll wrap it up here on Inside Motorsport, this special Ford Mustang US launch edition. And, uh, well, I should wrap up by saying, has what you saw in the dark, on a dark background, almost Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy style, has that Bergie made you want to rush out and get a new one? Not yet. Let me let me see what it looks like on the road. In the daylight. Peter? Well, some of the interior uh, I'm not really sold on, but uh, I do like the direction it went in, where it went in but some of it uh, I'm not sure. Well, guys, thanks very much for joining us here on Inside Motorsport, and till next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Motorsport is produced by Thunder Media for the Community Radio Network.